My name is Nate Mickle. You're listening to Sundays with Tozer on Mickles and Dimes. Justin Tozer is singular. One of the smartest, kindest, most generous, insightful, caring, understated, hardworking, impactful, selfless people to have ever lived. If you've never met Tozer, I bet you're skeptical. If you have met Tozer, I bet you agree with me. A math and science prodigy, Tozer grew up on a farm where formal education was all but prohibited. Yet somehow Tozer would make his way to the world's most prestigious firms, first in Silicon Valley and later in Los Alamos at the world's preeminent scientific lab. Yet no professional accomplishment compares to the countless lives Tozer has saved, changed, and enhanced. Please take the time to get to know Justin Tozer through this podcast. You will become a better person for it, and you will see that Tozer is singular. Sundays with Tozer, Episode 2, Middle School and High School. In this episode, we discuss the two ways Tozer was able to escape the farm life, education and religion. One of the challenges is figuring out exactly where we left off, but I think we're around like middle school. Oh, boy. <laughs> we got a lot left. Yeah. Middle school went by quickly. Did you like middle school? It was okay. Um, there was some adjustments that needed to be made because um, I, I uh, spent my previous six years in a one-room schoolhouse. Oh, yeah. Uh, with a teacher that, uh, you know, when she asked a question, you could answer it. And so one of the first classes I was in was a physics class. And um, the teacher, he would set up these, I, I guess, displays with electricity or or water pressure or hydrogen and oxygen and um, he'd do different things, and then he would ask questions as he demonstrated uh, this setup. And, uh, well, I thought that meant he wanted answers, but he didn't. So, um, uh, for the first few weeks, I just couldn't uh, shut up when there was... Um, and um, he uh, he reported me to the principal that um, I knew all the answers to his. Um, and it turned out the principal was my cousin. And so he gave me a bad time about it. Um, so I already understood electricity. I already stood electrolysis and all these things. So uh, I was just excited to share the answers. I felt bad that he didn't seem to know the answers sometimes. (laughs) So he's doing demonstrations, trying to like wow the class and you're just. Yeah. And asking, I guess what are supposed to be open-ended questions, but uh, we never dealt with that. Um, And other students in the class, they were more than happy to not answer any questions. They were not particularly interested. So, you know, he'd ask the question and everybody just sat there and I'm like, I'll, I'll tell you about it. Well, well, so you're like, what, this is sixth grade, seventh grade? 
seventh uh, middle school for me was seventh and eighth grade two years so how did you already understand electricity and electrolysis and so i just studied those things on my own because they were interesting and um in grade school um the teacher she got to where she'd bring me uh broken things that didn't work radios televisions and and then I was supposed to figure out what was wrong and make it work. And actually, the teacher's husband, she, uh, he knew a lot about, I don't know if he, his background was an electrician or something, maybe in the military. But he taught me a lot initially, you know, about electricity. So this is just in middle school. You're just figuring, I mean, there's no internet. Are you going to the library to read up on this? Or is it your teacher that's just giving you hands-on experience? Plus, you're learning from her husband. Yeah, hands-on experience. And um, uh, she would, we had a bookmobile. You probably don't know what those are. No. It's a, it's, a, it's a van that's filled with books. And it shows up once a month. And you go out to the bookmobile and you uh, find books that interest you and check them out. And then a month later, it comes back and you give those books back and you get new ones. But also the grade school teacher, she'd go get, uh, she'd go uh, look for books. I don't know where else she went to find books, but there was a, a great demand for books. Lots of books. I loved reading. Well, what, I, were you only reading science books though, or did you love to read fiction um, as well? There was such there was such a short supply of books that, um, you know, I would read fiction, um, but I really liked math books and uh, a lot of the math books, the word problems and stuff would lead into other types of science subjects, and then I'd go look for information on that. So it was mostly you feel like math was the first thing you really loved or was it just kind of all science really loved math and um and then got into science from there did your parents know that you were good at math and at science um i think so um, i mean at some point eventually they did but yeah like early on yeah um I noticed that it, um, I liked books so much that uh, it seemed to frustrate my mom. She thought that was cool. My dad, it kind of make him angry. You know, and it's like, hey, on a farm and ranch, the general rule is when it's dark, um, you know, the work's usually over with because um, you can't see what you're doing. So that was a time to read or uh, watch television. We had three channels sometimes that didn't come in very well. Uh, but you could usually get the sound. And the antenna that I set up for my parents at the old house, it's still there and the family still uses it. Oh, no way. Can you imagine how many windstorms and, and 
it must have been a really good television antenna. So how did you set that up? Um, just a, a piece of oil-filled um, pipe um, and mounted it on top. And then um, in those days, um, most people weren't aware, but there was, they're pretty common nowadays, but there was um, signal boosters, signal amplifiers, preamplifier that goes up near the antenna. And then uh, that increases the signal strength. That made it possible for us to get our three channels. I've got a Nissan. I've got a Nissan Altima, and the antenna on that hardly even works, and it's only like five years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Channel Master made that one, um, but I picked out the one that had the most gain. It's a huge antenna. Um, do you remember how old you were when you realized you first liked math science because i mean i guess this was more elementary right because by the time you were to middle school you already um well first of all i was excited to start first grade we didn't have kindergarten um at least a year before i got to go i was just um just so excited and um immediately in first grade um i finished up all of my homework all well all of your assignments and then i would want more to do and so i just kind of went um what she started doing was just having me go at my own pace some people showed up at school and they weren't too excited to be there they'd look at their uh list of work to do for the day and they'd like okay i'll get through that but they're gonna make it drag it out over the whole day mm -hmm. but for me it was fun what else do you remember about middle school so you had the science teacher that didn't appreciate you answering all the questions <laughs> um I remember uh, my first PE class <laughs> and um, there was this, the PE teacher was Mr. Fox and he had a very, very loud voice and a tiny body, but he looked big to me because I was little okay. and uh, he would line everyone up and he'd go down the line and he'd ask for their name. And he'd asked for their birth date. And he got to me and I told him, uh, I actually didn't know. I said it's during second cutting of hay. You know. You didn't know your birthday. No, it was not that important to me. <laughs> second cutting of hay. And he just uh he was uh just he was angry, you know, like who in the hell doesn't know their birthday? And, <laughs> and he says, you're a blankety blank tozer. He says, I've had enough of those. Uh, he was furious. Um, but yeah, that was. Uh, so um, seventh and eighth grade. I don't remember anything particular. I still liked 
math and science. Um, and I did get a, in those days you got SWATs in school for problems. I mean, for, you know, if they thought you were misbehaving mm. and um, they would either refer you to the principal, but often the teacher just had a board in the room themselves. And I got a SWAT from the math teacher for answering too many questions. What does this board look like? Like a ruler or like, well, a, like, a, by four? like a paddle, a, paddle. Um, a big paddle. Um, I think his name was Mr. Waller. He had two different sizes, um, you know, depending on how bad the offense was. Um, but uh, yeah, I got a swap there. And do you remember, so you were just answering too many questions. Do you remember like the specifics or you just, it was an algebra class and it was just way too easy and he'd write stuff up on the board and write problems on the board and i guess he wanted to take 10 or 15 minutes to go through the solution and i just wanted to get the answer out couldn't shut up <laughs> and then let's see other memorable event, my brother was in high school when I was in middle school, and uh, he liked to drive his car to school, but one day his car wasn't working, so he rode the bus with me. It was a very long bus ride, and um, there was uh, another kid on the bus, quite a bit bigger than me, but he's kind of like a gentle giant, but he liked to play. And so we would have pretend like we were having fights on the bus. I don't know why. I, apparently that entertained us. Uh -huh. And um, we were having one of our pretend fights. And, and my brother turned around and grabbed uh, this other boy by his belt and shoved him up against the side of the school bus broke out the window. Oh my gosh. And, um, yeah. And um, we had to go to the, we all had to go to the principal and, and we got swatted. Swatted again. Yeah. <laughs> so he was protective of you. Yeah. Um, I was pretty angry at him. That kid was my friend. Mm -hmm. And I guess he thought he needed to protect the little brother. So the teachers knew you coming through because they'd had your brother. Yeah, they been family. everybody knew everybody, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess tozers were a little uh, difficult for the teachers. We could we lived in rural areas. We didn't really know how things worked in the in city. Town. Yeah, so. You mentioned last time that you had a temper, but I honestly have not really ever seen it. Are you sure? I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't think so. You feel like yeah, I mean, maybe maybe you were throwing a tantrum. I just didn't realize it because you're still polite about it. Well, it uh, a tozer temper tantrum is an ugly thing, so um So I would know it. But you know, it 
if you're going to go into engineering and 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 professional careers, you can't have meltdowns like that. You just you cannot. Yeah. So you need to go for a walk or you need to deal with it somehow. But you can't have a meltdown at work. So you felt um, like that helped you control it a little bit then? Yeah. Yeah. So what do you remember about high school? Um, and actually, let me back up. Did you ever end up liking PE? Did you like doing physical activity, sports? Well, one thing to understand is um, I might have been little, but the average amount of physical activity that was done on the farm and ranch yeah. by like my brother and I far exceeded what the other kids were doing. So we never had an endurance problem. And, um, you know, we could just go and go and go. But there was an awkwardness. Um, first time I ever held a baseball bat was in that junior high school PE class. And um, I wasn't really sure. You know, I, um, the coach was trying to instruct me you know, at the diamond or whatever you call that place where you stand and hold your bat and swing. Uh -huh. And, um, and this is the same coach that yelled at me and stuff, you know, for not knowing my birthday. And um, <laughs> so it was my turn to bat and he's trying to give me some hints and stuff. And the first time I swung, um, I missed. And then the second time, um, the ball came, I, I hit it, but the, I didn't know for sure what you were supposed to do with the bat. So I just turned loose of it and that bat hit coach Fox right <laughs> in the chest and hurt him pretty bad. Oh no. <laughs> Knocked him down. And um, that was an awkward moment because we weren't great friends anyway. Yeah. And I don't know if he thought that looked like I did it on purpose. I did not. I, I just, you know, you were supposed to hurry and run after you hit the ball, right? And so it's just, you know, the I have, kept going. I have a memory. Did, you, did, he get, did he get mad at you? Did you get in trouble for that? Or I don't think he punished me, but there was some foul words said. <laughs> I have a memory of playing like baseball inside a church with you. So I must've been 15, 16. And I remember you made contact. Maybe you ran to third first, but I don't know. I think you probably <laughs> knew to run to first, but for some reason I'm thinking you ran to third first, but I remember we were all very, we were all very proud of you <laughs> that you made contact with the ball. <laughs> was that like wiffle ball? Maybe? Yeah, it was like wiffle ball in the, in the gym. Yep. I think I have a vague remember, uh, vaguely remember that. And uh, you guys were so patient on all the things I didn't know anything about. Well, yeah, that's the thing. We were all yeah. like, we were all very proud of you. We were genuinely <laughs> happy that you had made contact because <laughs> it wasn't guaranteed that you were ever going to make contact. Yeah. Well, and you talk about being tough. I mean, that's something, obviously, we'll, we'll get to like scouts and stuff. But I just remember you as a as a camper. And as a scoutmaster, you were one, you know, on the hikes. It didn't matter what 
the weather was like, how long the hike was. It, it all seemed pretty easy for you. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't remember it being difficult. Um, at least early on, I was mostly worried about whether things turned out well for the yeah. activity. And um, uh, there's, there was always the worry about whether someone, you know, whether everyone's going to be safe, whether somebody's yeah. going to get hurt. Um, uh, fortunately, um, the other scout leader in, in the very early days, what was his name? Not Hewlett, who came before. Uh, I'm not sure. Stewart. I don't know. Uh, Greg's the only one I knew. Um. Anyway, he was very laid back. He never worried about anything. So that was and, a little scary. <laughs> and um, if somebody didn't show up with uh, food or appropriate clothing or whatever, he'd get mad at me and say, you know, don't. They need to suffer. They were told how to prepare, oh. and they didn't prepare. So, you know, stop giving them things. Well, I don't want to jump too far ahead. We'll 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 talk about scouting. So, okay, high school. So, what do you remember about high school? Um, high school was an exciting time. Um, uh, again, I liked school. And um, I took a I took a college course at the technical school. It's called communication electronics, and um, that was exciting. Um, and that was really the first opportunity where you know the first. I had a class where there was um, someone who the teacher was equally as excited about the stuff about, as I was. Um, mm. And high school is also where um, I learned about the church. Um, and high school is where um, I decided to go to what college I was going to go to. Actually, I decided what college to go to in grade school. Really? Yeah. How? Because my favorite teacher for six years, her car had these little stickers on the window that had a Y on them. Uh uh Those Your first grade school permits. teacher? Yeah. She uh, got her degree from Brigham Young University. No way. And... um. I'd always ask her about those stickers in the window and she'd tell me about BYU and I decided I was going to school there. Okay. So in elementary school, what was her name again? Audrey Allman. Audrey Allman. And you said she's still alive? Yes, she is. Yeah. Have you, have you talked to her recently? Uh, not in a few months. Um, the last year has been really uh, she's really struggled she's had i think uh three strokes and so uh, uh things are getting uh difficult for her but she knows the impact you had on that she had on you oh yeah yeah and she's still got some of my letters to her stuck on her refrigerator oh my gosh 
That's amazing. Um, yeah, she's uh, she had one skill that she was really good at, and that was teaching. Um, but anyway, she had those stickers in her uh, window of her car. And so I decided I was going to go to BYU. And then uh, that's when, I guess, towards the end of the sophomore year to the beginning of the junior year, they started bringing in all of the, the counseling office would bring in every kid and ask them what they wanted to do. Um, you know, did they want to go in the military? Did they want to go to college? Did they want to go to a Botech school or did they just want to get out? And when you're in a rural area, there's a lot of people just want to get out. Uh-huh. And uh, that's when uh, the, the counselor's name was Mr. Seaman. And he was a really nice guy. I was lucky to get him because he's really well-liked by everybody and he liked everyone. And um, so he brought me in for my, you know, pre-college visit or whatever. And he says, what do you uh, want to do when you graduate from high school? And I said, I want to go to BYU. And I think I told you before, he said, are you LDS? And I hadn't heard that word before, LDS. And I thought he was referring to LSD, which was a big topic at that time uh and i told him i don't use drugs <laughs> and that's when mr seaman started laughing and he says well he says you're gonna have to have an ecclesiastical sign off to go to byu and that's another word i'd never heard before and he and i said well who does that and he says well there's a guy across the street at the seminary that he can do ecclesiastical interviews. He says, why don't you go meet with him? That was Mr. Price. And he was a nice guy. And um, so I decided to take seminary. And um, did you go talk to Mr. Price first? And so then he was like, hey, you should take seminary. Or do you remember how that, that happened? Out? The seminary class happened. Later, you know, my schedule was all filled up. Uh, and so that there would be some time. I, I think it might have been the senior year when I did seminary. I'm pretty certain. Okay, I did so... two semesters. Um, but Mr. Seaman said, you know what? He says, you should probably apply early for BYU. So I applied my junior year and then got, had letters go back and forth. They tell me, uh, somebody, I don't know, from the admissions office, I can't even imagine how much they must have laughed at those letters. Um, They would, um, one of the first letters said that they recommended I take some additional classes or make sure that I take some additional classes that year in my senior year and then they told me to keep them apprised of my grades and status and so I'd send in grade reports every time I got one and explain to them what I was doing and what my plans were and then 
somebody at the admissions office got tired of doing the personal uh, letters, I suppose, and they sent me a certificate of admissions. I was the first person in my high school to be accepted into college. Um, and the final letter said something like, here's your certificate of admissions. All you have to do is make sure you get good grades uh, your senior year. Wow. So when did you, did you take the ACT, SAT? I did. I did. So when did you I take those tests? The ACT. Um, and in my school, I, I don't know of anybody that took the SAT. Maybe it was available, but... Um, And the ACT test, the first time I took it, I got a, the highest score possible in math and uh, a 13, which is uh, about the score you can get by guessing in English. A 13? That's the lowest I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the the guessing grade you can get just by marking the bubbles um, was something like 14 so so you actually, would have been better off to yes. worse. yeah so but, that gave BYU an opportunity you know to give some advice on um what additional class so I took extra English classes oh so that was the communication they were they were intrigued mm -hmm. by your math scores but were concerned that your English scores were going to make succeeding in college difficult right But you like to read. I'm surprised your English score was that poor, though, because you like to read and you would have read a lot of books. And I mean, you've always been a great communicator and those seem to be highly correlated with, you know, English scores. So I, I think the problem here is that um, all of those years living on a farm and ranch were the only people you spoke to was your family and your hired help. And you really only were around them for a few hours a day total there just wasn't much talking mm. uh and that that's not a good start it's important for there to be a lot of communication in a young child's life i think well even just hearing words i know you know research shows that some students show up at kindergarten having heard like 10 million words and others show up having heard 50 million words in the first year right. of life. And so that's, it makes a big difference on the ability to understand the teacher and communicate with others. Did you feel bothered by that? Did that, did you care that you weren't good at English? Did you want to do better or were you just, yeah, so it, with math? it bothered me a, a great deal. And so, um, you know, in high school, you know how there's certain class periods, um, I actually signed up for additional classes that were done independent study, um, you know, where the teacher gave me assignments and directed my work, but I didn't attend the class because uh, I was taking additional classes. Did you retake the ACT and get your English score up? I did retake it. Do you remember how well you did? Um, Seem to remember uh, getting it up to like a seventeen, maybe. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Better than chance. If you yeah. took the, if you took the ACT in English today, how do you think you would do? 
I don't know. I suppose it would be better, uh, if nothing else, because of all of the technical documents that I've had to write. Had to do lots of writing as part of work. Okay. And it's not easy. First, I, you know, I, I get the ideas down and, and then I go back and and work on it. So you're a sophomore, you want to go to BYU, you talk to your counselor, he says you need to get an ecclesiastical endorsement. You also mentioned joining the church. So how did you, how did that happen? What did missionaries knock on your door? Um, there was uh, a friend of mine, Stephen Dennison, that um, just, I don't know, he was always, um, I didn't know him before high school, so I don't know for sure where he came from, but he always wanted to sit beside me. And I accused him of cheating off my um, papers and stuff and during tests. And we'd get in fights over that. And one time in a biology class, we um, both got referred to the principal for for arguing. Um, but he was really a good guy. And he talked a lot and I didn't talk very much <laughs> and it just uh, it would wear on you you know you're in a classroom and this guy's sitting by you and he's talking all the time you know even probably when the teacher's talking he's talking and um, but he was always talking about um, mutual which is what uh, it used to be the young men's young women's program I think and um, about church and um, and so I don't know about my sophomore year I started asking him questions about all the stuff he's talking about I'm like it don't make sense and I remember one of them was he said that um, he talked about going to play basketball at the stakes house like, i didn't even know restaurants had basketball <laughs> and um and then he tell me all about that and then um i remember him one day in in a math class he said um would you like to learn more about the church um, he said, I could send uh, missionaries to your house. And um, I laughed and I said, sure. I says, but um, they'll never find my house. And they did. Oh. And the first meeting didn't go very well. The two missionaries were having an argument with each other. And then my dad made it worse because he was angry with them. Yeah, so was your whole family there for the meeting? The whole family was there for the first one. Um, which I'm surprised my father allowed them in the house. Uh, but they brought um, uh, a video with them. 
And I don't remember which church video it was, but it was on one of those reel-to-reel machines. Mm -hmm. And uh, they had the volume turned up pretty high. And maybe maybe that's because they didn't have much control over the volume. I don't know. But my dad wanted the volume turned down. The two elders were arguing with each other about something. I don't know what. And uh, my dad got angry and... It turned out badly. I never saw those two elders again, nor do I remember their name. Uh, the next meeting was Elder Oliver and Elder Olson. And they oh, were... How much later was the meeting with Olson? And oh, Olson just like the next week. Okay. And uh, they were like a barrel of fun. My dad never got to meet them. He refused to ever be present when they... Uh, came um, good guys um, and I wish they could have been there for that first meeting although I doubt it would have changed anything and then around the second or third meeting we were um, asked to decide whether we wanted to get baptized or not and my sister and I and my mom said we wanted to be baptized. And when we let my dad know after one of the meetings, he's like, uh, no, that's not happening. Um, my mom was told that if she joined the church, she'd have to find a new place to live. And us kids told we could continue to have the lessons, but... Um, he didn't want us to join the church. And we continued to take the lessons, but we did it in, uh, we did it at the church building. And um, finally, the bishop, Bishop Johnson, uh, said he was going to go down and get permission for my sister and I to be baptized. And I remember praying um, I prayed specifically that he would not show up in a suit and tie because if he did, my, my father always ran people off who showed up in a suit and tie. Interesting. Um, he thought that, you know, the, they were educated people and, and they were the people who caused him trouble in the past and he, he run them off. Was like a, just by yelling at him? By yelling at him usually, but if if they persisted, he could go get other things to help, help get his message across. Um, so um, I remember uh, Bishop Johnson showing up at our house it was on a hot day. He showed up in an old pickup, wearing dirty coveralls. And my dad was out working underneath the hay baler. And um, we pointed to him where my dad was at. My dad was already in a bad mood for the day. And um, he, the bishop crawled underneath the hay baler with my dad. And I don't know what happened under there. I've never been given any insights as to how that, you know, what their discussion was or anything. 
But after they got the baler fixed, they were walking back towards the house, and I was hiding somewhere over by the house, kind of watching. And the bishop saw me, and he just did the thumbs up like that. <laughs> and I knew that meant that that he got approval, but we would never ever talk about that. Um, Bishop Johnson passed away as a fairly young man. I don't know if he was even 50 years of age. Oh. He had diabetes. And uh, then um, my dad never spoke of that meeting either. So. And it was you and your sister that got approval? Right. So why did you want to get baptized? What was it? I was 100% certain that uh, that it... Uh, that the church was the right one. How come? I had prayed uh, long before uh, even meeting the missionaries. Um, and I remember my mom had got me the... Yeah, I remember the Bible. Bible, and I studied the Bible, and um, I just felt like I had a good relationship with God even if I didn't get to go to a church or anything, but I did what the missionaries asked me to do. And the testimony you can get from the very simple action is very strong. I had absolutely no doubt at all that that was the right church. And I, I felt like huge things were happening almost every every day. Um, joining the church made everything else that I wanted to do in my life become possible. If that makes sense. Yeah, like like what? Going to college. Um, learning all about uh, the things that I found interesting. Um, I continued to, uh, well into college and beyond, I continued to just devour information on different subjects, mostly related to science, but also related to religion. Uh, people come from all over the place, people who'd never visited our home before, to tell me and my parents that I had made a very bad decision. Mm. And sometimes they bring, uh, they tell me things that were wrong with my uh, beliefs or wrong with the church that I joined. And I'd go, um, if if I needed to find the, the discourses of Brigham Young, I'd go find them and read them. Somebody always had stuff. If I needed to go find um, all the diaries of Joseph Smith, uh, I'd go find them and read and find the exact thing that they had referenced or quoted, only to find that um, a lot of people were very misleading and deceptive. Yeah. And pretty soon you start wondering, hmm, um, 
you know, I'm trying to study this just like I do science. But clearly these people just have a an issue with the church. It's not that, you know, it's not that they actually have a any good reason behind their um behind their complaints against the church. So did you ever doubt the church from that moment on? No. Uh-uh. You've been you've been a member ever since. The church has been like uh, I describe it to my mom as it's been like the church has been like my family that's anywhere that I go. Yeah. Whether it's California or Idaho or New Mexico or Guatemala uh for a few days or oh, yeah or germany or uh japan or wherever you go it's there and it's uh it's the same everywhere were there other members in your high school or was it pretty much that one friend steven dennison that Oh, there were others. There were others. And um, in those days, um, people were amazed that I could point out who all of the members were um, without actually having ever been to church. or um, There was just something about them. And I remember uh, Stephen and some of his friends one day I, I pointed to one guy and I said, that person's a member. And they said, no, it's not. And I'm like, he is too. <laughs> and so one of them went to find out and it turned out that uh, this other person was, um, he was a, a member. They were inactive. They've been inactive for a number of years. But that tells me that there's something um people who have been baptized and made some progress down this covenant path that tells me that um if the, if you can spot them even though maybe they're no longer going to church maybe not even living those standards that tells me that there's something that changes in people um yeah. Whether they want to admit it or not, a lot of the people that are inactive that I've run into, they have a little, they say they have a little gripe, somebody offended them, or they don't like some aspect of the church, but usually there's something, something else underneath all of that. So, obviously, my, my parents helped me kind of find my testimony of the church siblings grandparents but you played a big role in that too because you were my sunday school teacher and you were one of my favorite <laughs> sunday school teachers ever and i remember you know we're, we're, we're jumping ahead and we'll go back but i remember the very first time i read the book of mormon was when i was in your class i think i was maybe 13 or 14 it was the very first time i read it cover to cover and you had encouraged us to do it and given us a chart and you had us mark off our progress and you encouraged us and monitored us and probably gave me a candy bar at the end or, you know, something for doing it. 
But Only I remember candy bar. That's it. <laughs> I know. I'm sure. Yeah, true. I'm sure it was a great gift, whatever it was. <laughs> uh, but I, two things I remember about that. One, I always remember that. I always remember like, and I remember making it through Alma because you know there's 63 chapters in Alma, and mm -hmm. so I remember like I'm I'm getting momentum. I think I'm going to do this. And then I also remember your class was so awesome because you always had a great lesson. But if you finished the lesson 20 minutes early, you were like, hey, we're done. And I really appreciated that. And I still do that in my classes today. I, I actually, we probably don't end early that much, but I spend a lot of time at the beginning of class getting to know the kids and talking about it. Because I always think, look, if Tozer could give me an awesome lesson in 15 minutes, I mean, I really think sometimes your lessons were maybe just 15, 20 minutes and, you know, you had an hour there, maybe they're a little longer, but I've always remembered that. Like if, if I can get a testimony and feel uplifted and learn something that impacts me in 20 minutes and then we get out early, then that's fine. I didn't like the idea of, of people feeling like the classroom, the classroom was a huge resource. I mean, incredible resource for us to come together and do something but you don't want the classroom to start feeling like it's a cage that you're supposed to be trapped in for a certain <laughs> period of time. Um, yeah. And, uh, Sunday's, I mean, uh, what do you call it? The primary presidency was never happy with, uh, with class being out early. Yeah. <laughs> that became their problem. But I think they had a hard time, uh, they also struggled dealing with me. <laughs> I don't know how many times I got in trouble for, um, you know, not doing things the way they wanted them done. Yeah. So how does that, you know, for some people that can be a real challenge when, you know, people are getting mad at them for this or that. Like, how did you, I guess you just didn't care. You're used to that. I mean, your childhood. You grew up with thick skin. Like, what is it about you that allowed you to just do your own thing without getting too? I was real sensitive to all of that stuff. So, you guys didn't realize it, but I would usually, um, you know, once I heard that I was in trouble, I would usually go talk to them and try to understand. Okay. Um, um and I remember some of our uh, middle of the week activities would sometimes. Uh, coincide with like a release society activity and um, I think the lesson I learned there was communication goes a long ways you know you can we could just stay frustrated at each other for a long time but the women were really you know uh, they they were willing to work with me on trying to solve the problems and we had quite a few i can't remember exactly who all was there when you were there but we had a lot of young men in the new scout program at, at, at certain points and it's difficult to make sure everybody was you know that nobody was um causing problems out in the hallway or something yeah. you know there's a lot of different ways to come in and out of the church building and, and and you can't stand guard at every door and 
And when you're having activities with them, they need to get up and get moving. You hear them running around the building. Um, and you never know when they might run through the kitchen or something when you didn't expect them to. Well, back to high school then. Is there anything anything else that jumps out to you about your high school? You join the church, you get admitted to BYU, you... Anything else? I started liking PE class. Oh, really? Just okay. one PE class. Um, it was because um, a coach. He was the drafting. The football coach was the drafting teacher, and one of and uh, the weight training class teacher, and. Weight training was perfectly fine with me. It didn't require any previous knowledge or skills. And nobody was ahead of me. Uh, I was still under 100 pounds. And um, my uh, maximum weight I lifted was 130 pounds. On the, on the bench press? Mm -hmm. When I graduated as a senior. And my brother's maximum was 300 and something. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so that gives you some comparison. Um, and we were actually in the same class at least once. But. Wow. So what did your dad think about you applying to college and choosing BYU? Very angry. All of his kids were supposed to stay there and work on the farm and ranch that would have been a terrible idea um my mother and father they just barely broke even most years and they had a number of years where their net income was negative Jeez. um so what in the world he thought he was going to do with all of his kids living right there um, I suppose in his mind, he imagined each kid getting a mobile home and pulling it up next to the house and, you know, getting married, having kids. And now he's got a workforce of, you know, two, four, six, eight grandchildren, something like that. Um, I just didn't want to do it. But I had hay fever really bad. Um, it was just hard to breathe um during the summertime and um all i knew is i wanted to get out of there i remember you saying something to the effect of one of the reasons you chose byu or at least college was because that was the one thing that would especially anger your dad I know I didn't think of it that way, but in hindsight, I have to ask myself, was that a form of rebellion? Um, and it, it probably was. Um, but that also probably explains my, my father had very bad things to say about my grade school teacher. In his mind, I think he believes that she probably put all of those crazy ideas about college into my mind. 
So that's really interesting. The one kind of she had such a kind of outsized impact on you at such a young age. And the you know, as you look back and think about how positively she impacted your life, that was somebody that your dad was so frustrated with. He wanted her fired. So he knew he knew that she was impacting you. She he knew she was changing you. I think he was jealous. I think my dad was jealous of anyone who um was able to get close to um one of his kids or to his wife and mm. so she was a threat in that manner but um I remember I always wished that my dad would say something nice about Audrey the school teacher and um um uh, I remember they were thinking about having somebody else teach at the school and um my dad i heard him tell somebody else another parent well i guess we could do worse than audrey and to me that was a positive comment yeah wow that i had to share with her right away <laughs> <laughs> and uh later at a school program um she actually uh quoted um what i told her my father had said <laughs> publicly uh, yeah publicly she says well you know i got a real big compliment from justin he tells me that his dad says we could do worse <laughs> <laughs> than me as a teacher <laughs> was she um, married did she have a family she was married and okay. she had a boy and a girl and um, I really liked her daughter, but she never allowed her children to go to, um, to, to our school. She said that she had a rule that her kids should have somebody else as their teacher because they had her at home. Uh, okay. Yeah. And, um, Yeah. So you liked weights, eventually the, the PE class, anything else about high school that you remember? Did you go to any dances? Did you, were you making good friends? Um, I had good friends. Um, I participated in FFA, Future Farmers of America. Oh, okay. And uh, my dad was kind of okay with that. And uh, we had a... Uh, an agriculture class where you learn how to weld and do all kinds of things. And I kind of liked that class. Um, I became uh, good with um, a welder and a cutting torch and that kind of stuff. And uh, that was useful on the farm. Um, my brother and I were both good at it. My father was very bad at it and never had any training oh. and when he repaired equipment it just fell apart again but he would rarely trust us to do that work for him which i don't know we knew how to do it he didn't um i've always wondered why he didn't let us do it for him so when we were out working in the fields you get in big trouble if you broke a piece of equipment was to break whether it was your fault or not 
So my brother and I, if we broke something, we'd be back uh, to the shop and we would fix it quickly because we knew how. Yeah. And our fixes lasted and that would keep us out of trouble. But I can't think of much out. Um, the extracurricular activities were just pretty much out of the picture. Um, my dad used to say, I'd ask him sometimes, um, I wanted to do um, cross country or track and field. Mm-hmm. When you're, I don't know how I got that in my head, but it was like something. And I got to where I would um, um, run several miles every day. And I started that several months. And then when the time come, my dad just said, no, absolutely not. And um, I thought about downhill skiing one time because all my friends had talked about that. And it sounded like so much fun. And I asked my dad one time and he says, that's what city kids do who don't have work to do. Yeah, so parents who live in the city, they gotta send their kids skiing, and they gotta have them play football, and and all of these other things because they don't have enough work for them. Yeah. Well, how about like, are you doing like, are you reading your scripture still every day? Is this like a weekly thing? Praying, like, how is your religious kind of life at home? You didn't do those. Um, tried not to do those things openly because it could make uh, a father angry but yes and um, joining the church um, after that is like um, you couldn't wipe the smile off of my face which probably infuriated my dad <laughs> um, literally uh getting to go to church on Sunday. And by the way, after we joined the church, we had to ask way in advance for permission to use the car to go to church on Sunday. But it was like, um, there was just a wonderful spirit there always at, at church. Um, and it was just you and your sister going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just loved it there. I wish church you know, it was three hours then, and hours were split up. There was priesthood at seven in the morning, and then there was uh, two more meetings later. And and I, I just thought that was the greatest thing ever. Um, but coming to the subject of prayer, um, I was uh, – have you heard of having a prayer – in your uh, silent prayer, you know, that you say mm-hmm. in your mind. Um, I spent, you could say that I spent much of the day, every day um, praying. And I felt like it was a powerful thing. Um, and I felt like I also got what I wanted most of the time too. So like um, not not a repetitive like not repeating the Lord's no, prayer, no. like a dialogue. A dialogue, yeah, it was going on a lot of the time. And uh, for example, I remember being 
dropped off out in a truck patch in a, you know, a 110, 115 degree day. It was just horrifically hot and miserable, not a cloud in the sky. And I remember saying a prayer. I can't take it anymore. I've been out here for many hours and um, something needs to happen so I can have permission to leave. And all of a sudden, over the mountain comes dark black clouds and, and it just pours water. There's been no forecast for water. It's just one little thing, you know. Um, but um, when you ask and you get over and over, being careful not to be a nuisance, um, <laughs> it's a pretty strong testimony. You knew what it was like to be a nuisance. You'd been labeled a nuisance before. So you're, but your right. relationship with God, you never felt like you were asking too many questions or pushing too hard, huh? No. And I felt like that dialogue had started before I joined the church and then it just got better. Um, but I still read uh, extensively and I could read very fast. Um, Do you have any other experiences you remember like that where you felt like you asked for something and um, we, should, we should probably wrap up soon. I know you probably got other things you need to be doing, but. One other thing, and this is another farm related thing. Um, back in those days, we they didn't use sprinkler irrigation systems. They use what they call corrugated um, uh, irrigation. So there's marks, little ditches that go across the field and, you got to run water down each ditch and water is always in short supply in the Southwest. And you would set your water in the morning and then at nighttime, you're supposed to go out and, and make sure that it, that the water had completed, uh, got from the top of the field to the bottom of the field. And there was a real, you know, that was a challenge because the water levels, uh, tend to go down as the day progresses and the water is supposed to just get to the end of the field in the evening not be wasted over the end of the field and and um the end of the field if it's dry that's a, like a big red flag and i remember walking across fields uh at the bottom of the fields at the end of the day and knowing that the water had dropped substantially during the day and also knowing how much trouble I got into if uh, if the bottom of the field stayed dry uh, I remember saying a prayer and just well the field was wet all the way down to the bottom and um, over and over you know good daily good things happen you know there's huge things i think um being accepted to byu is a big deal i don't think most people would have um uh i think i don't know that i was a good candidate for them from you know from what they see on the paper mm -hmm. um so i felt like that was a very much a blessing um and those are the ones I can think of that 
are not too embarrassing. <laughs> they aren't too embarrassing. Well, should we should we wrap up there for today? We better. Um, I need to go make sure Mom's using her oxygen. I don't hear it running. Okay, I'll hit. Let me hit stop. Thanks for listening to the second episode of Sundays with Tozer. To be notified each time an episode of Sundays with Tozer is posted, subscribe to the Mickles and Dimes podcast. In episode three, we get the first glimpse of Tozer's commitment to helping people who are struggling. We also see Tozer's work ethic. Tozer working two straight eight-hour shifts because he didn't know he could go home after the first shift. Tozer working 72 hours straight over one holiday break. And Tozer saving an entire CO2 plant from burning down. Thanks again for listening to Sundays with Tozer.